Hey everyone, um, blink and you'll miss it. This is our shortest ever pop-up podcast to date, but it's worth it because it's solid gold, Dave Grohl. Solid Grohl, Dave Gold. All right? But first... Every morning, Tash, my wife and I go scoop da loop with one heap scoopful of this all-round nutritional insurance, which is made up of no less than 75 vitamins, minerals and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood, scientifically researched and blended together to support and improve energy, recovery, immunity and digestion. Deep seaweed green, like nature itself. This eye candy concoction takes just a few seconds, like no more than five or six. Okay, ten tops. To prepare and taste absolutely gorgeous. And so, here's how you can get yours. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash how to wow and join health experts, athletes and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash how to wow. OK, and don't forget slash how to wow, because this will entitle you to the special deal Athletic Greens have given how to wow listeners. A free year's supply of vitamin D and five travel free packs today to take with you on the go. Once again, Athletic Greens.com slash don't forget how to wow. Okay, and now let's cue my conversation with Dave Crow. So the Instagram post that became a book, please expand. Well, last year when uh the Foo Fighters uh we finished making a record, we booked a tour, we had made videos, we had made movies, we were ready to go, and then the world shut down, and uh I was terrified that I would have nothing to do. So I decided to start this Instagram page called Dave's True Stories. I started writing these short stories about these incredible experiences I've had, jamming with David Bowie or Prince or Paul McCartney, things like that. And then um, I realized that I was going to be here a while, so I wrote a book. The end. (laughs) Well, just the beginning, to be honest. But somebody suggested, look, this is a book here. And then little did you realize there is a chasm between no matter how comprehensive and brilliant the posts are, and actually writing a book, how much of a leap was that? Well, you know, I did it in the same format. I, I wrote the book in in, uh, in these little short story pieces. And, I, and as, as I was writing it, I wasn't really <clears throat> doing it in any sort of chronological order. And then once I had finished with like 25 or 30 of these stories, I had to sort of reshuffle the deck and put them, put them in an order where there was, uh, you know, kind of an arc to the story. And um, it was great, man. I mean... You know, anybody that knows me knows that I love a good story. And so putting it to paper actually gave me a little more time to, you know, to kind of think about it and reflect. It was great. It is fantastic because they jump off the page. So what we've done, Dave, is we've composed, we've constructed 10 sound bites from the book. OK, and we've numbered them one to 10 in a lucky dip of Dave Grohl gold. So you give me a number between one and 10. I'll give you a quote and then you can speak to that quote. You ready? OK. OK, here we go. So any number between one and 10, off you go. Six. Six. The Meowing Studio Kitten, page 223. I was building a studio in my house in Virginia, and as we were doing construction, my mother came over to visit, and we heard a kitten meowing <laughs> somewhere. I had left the door open for the, for the construction guys, and so I thought that a kitten or a cat had come into my house uh, and had, had, uh, had its litter somewhere in my studio. So my mother and I were wandering around the room. We heard it everywhere. And as I was kneeling on the floor with my ear to a wall, my mother walked up next to me and I realized that the the, the meowing was actually her sandal squeaking. (laughs) 
Now, you have an excellent ear for sounds. I'm trying to imagine how, how meowy a squeaking sandal has to be before it, it can be confused for a cat. Well, you also have to realise I'm deaf as a post. Oh, OK. So th I think that had something to do with it. That's fair enough. All right, now, I do have a favourite story in this list of ten. Let's see if you pick it. So, any number now between one and ten, but not six. Nine. Number nine isn't it, but it's a cracker. What's the longest flight you've ever been on, Dad? Uh, the, every year at my at my daughter's school, they would have a daddy-daughter dance. And it wasn't required, but you had to go just to sort of prove to your kid that you, you know, that, that their dad would always be there if they ever needed him. And so this one year, uh, I checked my schedule and realized that the daddy-daughter dance in Los Angeles was the same day that I had a show in Perth, Australia. So I actually, I made I made the move the show back and I flew from Adelaide to Los Angeles, spent about, I don't know, six or seven hours, took my kid to the dance and then flew all the way back to Perth to play a show. But on the way back, I got food poisoning on the plane and was afraid that they were gonna uh, like pull me aside for fear that I had Ebola and then throw me in a room full of people with Ebola. Then I would get Ebola and I would die at the airport in Australia. But I, I made it all the way to Perth, <laughs> walked off stage. I walked off the plane, had a Guinness, went straight to the stage, played a three-hour show, fell asleep, woke up the next morning and flew back to Los Angeles. Wow, that is that is the most rock and roll, un-rock and roll, rock and roll story I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's funny because these stories, do you think these stories, these kind of stories happen to certain people or it's just that people who love to tell stories remember the things that happened to them? I mean, you know, the, I, I, I explain it like this. First of all, I, I kind of live my life feeling like it's happening to someone else because it's so cool. You know, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm having this out-of-body experience where I'm watching someone jam with Prince or hang out with Paul McCartney or whatever it is. And so every time something like that happens, I think, oh, this, I'm, this is what I'm going to see as I'm on my deathbed. My life is flashing before my eyes. I will certainly see Prince standing before me in purple pajamas with a guitar and we'll be jamming. And then we'll be, um, so in a way, my life flashes before my eyes like every single day. And it's all easy to remember because who could forget something like that? Yeah, I mean, talking about Prince and McCartney, you know, I've had the good fortune to talk to Paul McCartney on several occasions. He even played in my pub for charity one year because he's such a mensch. I've worked with yes. Prince, but I didn't know him very well. You know, when us mere mortals hear about enigmatic characters, you know, once you're in their inner circle or their trust, is it is everything normal again? Or does the enigma sort of um, narrative and character continue? It's never normal. <laughs> To me, I mean, it just isn't, you know, I could, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to act cool and, yeah. and you know, make it seem like it's not a big deal, but I'm, I'm dying inside. I can't believe I'm face to face with my heroes. It's crazy. That's why, that's why we love you. Cause you are a fan and a superstar uh, all rolled into one. Can that be an issue sometimes the conflict there? Uh, well, I mean, usually I just make an ass out of myself and I say something that's terribly embarrassing and, you know, I mean, that happens too, but, um, no, I just roll with it. I just go. All right, another number between one and ten. Not six, not nine. Uh, let's go for two. Two. Skeeter and the same beat for 30 minutes. Page 123. <laughs> when I was about 17, I joined a band called Scream. I was playing drums. They were a punk rock band from Washington, D.C., which is where I grew up. And um, I was a wild drummer then. I mean, I was like, I was, I, I played too many drum fills. I played too hard. I played too fast. And the bass player, Skeeter, he, he decided he was going to break me like a horse. So we sat down and we rolled a jazz cigarette. And he said, OK, we're going to uh, play one riff 
for half an hour and you're not going to do a drum roll. And I said, no, fine, that's, that's fine. Within like a minute, I, I started like doing fills and he looked at me and just said, no, 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 no. And uh, it was the, he was the best drum lesson I ever had in my life, just playing one groove for half an hour. And it worked. And plus I was so high, I really had no idea what was going on. <laughs> when you have a jazz cigarette, you know, for, for the high, is there all, so sometimes is the high a low, is there a medium? Or is it is that just phraseology, the high? There's no medium for me, ever. <laughs> it's always high. <laughs> okay. All uh, right. You still haven't picked my favourite. Okay. Number one, three, four, five, seven, eight, or ten? Okay, I'm going for ten. Don't! Oh! All right. Number ten, the little girl in Nirvana's heart-shaped box video, page 357. This is true. When I was asked to play on the Academy Awards to do um, an acoustic song, and th this is like out of my league. This is something I'd never done before. So they sent me to this, uh, they sent me to like a stylist who had this rack of clothes that I was supposed to wear. Um, again, something I'm not used to at all. And I walked in and the uh, the stylist looked at me and she said, she said, we've met before. And I said, where's that? How, where, when? And she said, I was the little girl in the heart-shaped box video. And I looked at her face and it all came, it flashed back so, so vividly. Um, and we became friends. But it was just funny because I thought, you know, in 1993, when we were making that video, I couldn't imagine, you know, you know 30 years later or whatever it was, 25 years later, um, standing with a stylist preparing to play at the Academy Awards. And that stylist happened to be the girl from the video. It was a trip. That is so cool. So you've taken these stories on the road. How are those going? Have you seen other people doing similar? And what? how, how do you think you're doing? Well, you know, I did this thing at the Savoy Theatre the other night where I, I told stories and I played guitar and I demonstrated how I learned to play music and the slideshow and everything. I'd never done anything like that. And I'd hardly rehearsed it. And I only wrote it maybe like three or four days before the show. And I, I haven't seen too many shows where musicians do that. But I did go to see David Byrne from Talking Heads show yeah. um, and, and on Broadway. And that was exceptional. It was unbelievable. His was very much written and scripted and informative and thought-provoking and emotional and strange as he is. Um, I really enjoyed that. But I don't know. I mean, I'd, I've never seen the Bruce Springsteen show, but everybody says it's great. Um, and I'd love to do it more. I'd love to be able to sit with an audience and explain everything to them that way someday. Yeah, I've seen the Springsteen show and it was an honor to be there. Let me tell you, it's one of the best things I've ever seen in life. The David Byrne show, what did you take away from that? Well, you know, the whole thing with David Byrne is... The show begins and he's sitting at a table in front of a model of the human brain. And he's trying, he starts explaining how the mind works and how we process information and how we make sense of the world. So the whole, the whole show is about trying to make sense of life. And he goes in and out of songs that are, that are relevant or pertain to whatever he's talking about. And it's just, it's, it's seamless and it's brilliant and weird and, the music's great. That's what I love the most about him. Yeah, he's awesome, isn't he? He's a true artist. Um, my favourite story uh, still hasn't been chosen. Dave, please listen to me intonation. Pick from one, three, four, five, seven, or eight. I'm going to go for five. No, you I'm can't kidding. do Let's that. Let's go for you eight. I'm just, Chris, I'm kidding. Let's go for eight. i got to hear what it is. Come on, tell me. Just so you know, five is Taylor Hawkins' grandmother and Pantera Strip Club. Four is The Ring of Kerry Hitchhiker, which is a fantastic story. Number three, Kurt and the Tapping Turtle, also absolutely hilarious. And number one, Sandy and her ice blue eyes. Number seven, President of the United States of America, dude. Uh, number eight, though, is Do You Mind If ACDC Comes to Dinner, Darling? <laughs> it's the best story in the world. I mean, it happens. I can't believe it. There was... Um, one year at the Grammys, I, I wasn't, 
I was just there to present a Grammy. I wasn't performing. And so I thought, well, instead of going to the, going to the record industry parties afterwards, I'll just have a dinner at a restaurant. So I asked Taylor, our drummer, Pat, our guitar player, we decided we'd meet at this restaurant with our wife a few days, maybe a week before the dinner. Uh, Paul was coming into town. Paul McCartney was coming into town. And his wife texted my wife and said, what are you guys doing? My wife said, we're going out to dinner. They, she said, well, do you mind if we tag along? And so my wife texts me and says, hey, do you mind if Paul comes to dinner? I said, no, that'll be great. That'll be amazing. And then I guess Paul bumped into ACDC at the hotel. <laughs> ACDC asked Paul, what are you doing after the show? Yeah. He said, I'm going to dinner with the Food Fighters guys. And they said, can we come? And so then I get a text from my wife that says, do you mind if ACDC comes to dinner? Hilarious. And I mean, I, I grew up with ACDC. They're one of my favorite bands of all time really influential. I still listen to them. I listen to them all the time. And so, but I'd never met them. And they, they like, they're one of the most, they, they, ACDC like walks in the shadows. Like they, and you don't see them unless they're on a stage with cannons and amplifiers. So not only that, but then I get a, a text from this friend of mine who's in the Preservation Hall Jazz Band, which is a New Orleans swing band that like marches down the street playing music. And he said, what are you doing after the show? I said, oh my God, dude, you got to come to this dinner. It's ACDC, it's Paul McCartney. And he said, can I bring the whole band? And there's like 10 of them. And I said, I don't know if we have room. And he said, listen, if we can all come, then we'll march down the street through the restaurant into the back room and we'll perform for you. And so I surprised Paul and ACDC with a swing jazz band from New Orleans and they marched in the room and we all danced together. Like I was swing dancing with ACDC. It was amazing. I love it. It's funny, those dinners, isn't it, though? Because you want everyone that you know to come, but then you don't want to invite too many people because you won't get your go with ACDC and Paul McCartney. Yeah, they were mine that night. They, I wasn't sharing them with anybody. <laughs> uh, briefly, before you go, I know you're busy. How loud does a turtle have to tap to keep you awake? It's not how loud, it's how much. <laughs> it could be like, a, it, could, it could be just a tiny little tap, but when it happens every two seconds for 12 hours... It's enough to make you want to throw that thing out the window. Yeah, it's it's a Chinese water torture manifested as a turtle. So, Dave, yes. uh, you're playing here next year. Thank God for that. Um, any any plans ahead of that to warm up for that, or is that just all cool? Will you be back in the groove, back in the slot by then? Yeah, well, I mean, lately we've been on tour in the States. We just did about, like, two and a half months in the States. Right. And um, they're the best shows we've ever played. I can honestly say that. And, you know, the set list is getting longer. The band is playing better and the audiences are more enthusiastic because i think people missed live music for so long that now you know when you jump up on stage with the guitar and you start screaming everyone starts screaming along so it'll yeah i mean you know it'll just it'll be a celebration of the return it'll be great and how emotional was it for you first time back on stage um after the pandemic is still here of course but once you could play again what did that feel like dave Grohl? well we were asked to reopen madison square garden in new york city and so of course we agreed and the, the whole year leading up to that show, I'd been having this reoccurring dream where I would walk on stage and the lights would go down and I would just sort of sit there and stare at the audience for a good minute before I even started playing. And it was exactly that when we got on stage. It was amazing. It was cathartic. It was transcendent. Everybody was so happy to be back. And, you know, like you said, we're not entirely out of the woods, but I think, you know, we're taking steps in this. We're learning how to try to resume some sort of normal life and i think that live music is a big part of everybody's life and we need to do it so we have to figure that out well here here dave girl you're a fantastic ambassador for life itself uh, let alone rock and roll uh, thanks so much and good luck with the hall of fame all right my man we'll see you around 
The Storyteller himself. The book is out now. It's a crack and read. It's a book you can pick up and put down whenever you like for however long you have a reading window. It's fantastic. He is the coolest of rock and roll cats and just good for our species all around. That is Dave Grohl talking about The Storyteller. This has been a How To Wow pop-up podcast special. Please do rate and review it because all the nasties, all the haters uh, like to get their names in light and whenever you bother, it counteracts all that nonsense. Cheers. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye.